Sussex's Motor Mania with Damien Reed On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. I'm joined by Inchenjado, Noel Ebden in the studio, and uh, we're also joined now by uh, Chris Milbourne of The Bizzle. Chris, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back on the show. Good to have you back. We're just talking about Iftars and Sahuas, and I saw you down at the, uh, at the zone with... Uh, Alpha Time. Yeah, had, had a look at the Jeep Wagoneer. That was that's an incredible the, car. No, they, they, don't, they don't want to call it the Jeep. It's the Wagoneer. It's the Grand Wagoneer. The Grand Wagoneer. It? Yes, yes. It's, it is grand. <laughs> I'll give you that. It is a huge car. Yeah, massive, massive. Uh, we're going to talk about all things divisional in just a moment. But one of the things I wanted to cover off before we get stuck into all that is a, a story that that's piqued a bit of interest in other countries that's happened here this week. Um, just on my my own social media and everything else is uh, about we've introduced minimum speed limits on the road to uh, the Dubai Abu Dhabi road. Now, the story broke about uh, um, from the 1st of May, the UAE is introducing a 120 kilometre hour minimum speed limit on the Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid road. The maximum is 140 kilometres an hour. Uh, Now, of course, Abu Dhabi in some areas have 160 kilometre hour speed limits, which I believe is the highest in the world. Uh, And they said, but the thing is, it's not blanket minimum speed limit. It's for the first and second lanes only. So the two outside faster lanes, uh, drivers going below 120 kilometers an hour will be fined 400 dirhams. The rule's coming in from the 1st of May. Um, Now, the Abu Dhabi police ran a poll on this one, and more than 3,400 people responded. 78.5% were in favor of bringing in a minimum speed limit. What do you think? What do you think, Noel? About time. Oh, Finally, we can get the, yeah. the the slow coaches who just want to drive at 80 in the wrong lane and they actually cause a lot of the accidents mm. because if everyone's travelling along at the same speed, then you don't tend to have problems. It's when someone's going really, really fast or alternatively going really, really slowly. Those people actually cause accidents because you've got to go around them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, if the limit is 140 and you're sitting in the outside lane doing 120, if there's a car behind you, you should be moving out of the way. You should be yeah. aware. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the Malaysian Institute of Road Safety Research uh, conducted a report in 2020 that found that the setting the minimum speed limits on expressways, they said it is proven that a large speed differential between fast and slow drivers contributes to road accidents. It also says the difference in speed below the average speed has been found to cause a greater hazard than the differences in speed above the average. So that's an interesting one. Um, Our own road safety expert in the UAE, Thomas Edelman, said that uh, in many countries there is a strictly enforced right-hand lane mandate and left lane should be used only to overtake slower vehicles. The principle is not well understood in the UAE and rather we see lane hugging with a preference for the two leftmost lanes. So, you know, there, there seems to be a unanimous consensus here amongst people um, about, uh, you know, the fact that, that this, and I think it's, it's great that it's not blanket, it's just because you can have your trucks and, 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 and your slower bikes in the, in, the, in the far right lanes. It's just that when you fan out into, the, into the, the fast lanes, as I've been saying for years, it's not a fast lane, it's an overtaking lane. Mm. Just get around and move yeah, back exactly. in. Um, exactly. What do you think, Chris? I mean, that's, that's a, are you for that, having a minimum speed limit? 100%. I, I agree. We should. The first two lanes should be 140, 120, as uh, Noel said before. A lot of accidents happen where slower drivers kind of merge in, and then you have to slow down, but you don't have enough time to actually do it because they've just gone bang right in front of you, and mm. that will cause obviously the biggest issue. So I think mandating one is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, another another uh, comment on this: Oliver Carsten, professor of transport safety at the University of Leeds says, as well as being important when it comes to safety, the smooth flow of traffic has implications in terms of carbon emissions because stop-start driving results in more fuel being burnt. Uh, According to the study last year in the journal Injury Prevention, it was based on official figures. The UAE has... um, uh, Sorry, this is another another stat here. The UAE has cut its road deaths with a fatality rate falling from 10 per 100,000 in 2010 to 7.4 in 2015 and 3.5 in 2019 so you know good that we're we're moving in that direction anyway but going back to what oliver carsten was saying about the fact that because someone pointed this out to saying oh but the faster you go the more emissions you're burning it's not really the case it doesn't work because the thing is as you probably know in the shan is that it's throttle percentage right if yeah. you're if you're crew if you're coasting at 140 kilometers an hour you're coasting at 100 kilometers an hour you're still using the same throttle percentage 
and therefore burning the same amount of fuel. Every roughly. engine has a certain amount of efficiency. An engine, every engine has a sweet spot and a sweet speed where it's the most efficient it's going to be. For some cars, it's 80. For some cars, 100, 120. But the faster you go, you're not necessarily burning more fuel. I'll tell you what burns fuel is speeding up and slowing down because they yes. get the injectors to suck in more fuel. You're telling sucking more air from the, ox- from the atmosphere. So that sudden differential, you waste a lot of fuel. And when you suddenly get a lot of gas, a lot of unburned fuel goes into the atmosphere. So that is what actually causes the problem. Mm. There was an interesting one in the UK where there was a road that people kept speeding down near a near some houses and the people complained and had a speed bump put in oh, and yeah. and so then all the cars <laughs> had to slow down and speed up again afterwards and the air pollution went up so that all the people asked for it to be removed again yes. so there you go that proves the point so yeah a text message in uh, as a driver to Abu Dhabi from Dubai this is the best news but we know interesting point here but we know that speedometers are not always accurate with some as much as 15 kilometer inaccuracies how would that affect the minimum speed um i guess the simple answer to that is that we've got a tolerance here larger than pretty much any other country in the world mm-hmm. 20 up to 20 kilometers an hour is the tolerance if you look at you know uh, my home country for instance there is no tolerance it is one Nothing. kilometer hour you get pulled over but the texter does bring in a valid point there is always and uh, the there, there is always an inaccuracy hmm. in the manufacturer mean that speeder. 140 because you're 15 kilometer tolerance. That means you can suddenly do 155. That's not how that works. No, <laughs> no not exactly. Um, don't assume that your car has that big a gap. I would say get checked against a GPS thing, but for sure, don't assume that your car has a big gap like that. Exactly. Um, th- you can download an app on your phone that gives you GPS readings. I use it for my old car because it's yeah. in miles per hour, but it gives you an accurate. Yeah. Uh, readout in kilometers per hour. Uh, so, but there is always an inaccuracy variance in every new car. That's mm. why the GPS one to one to four percent cameras are obviously higher because they will see at GPS speed. So, if you're under, you should be fine. Mm. You might yeah. be at lower speed, fine for being at one twenty, but you're not likely to be. Five mm. or ten is a typical variance. You'd be pretty upset though doing one twenty on the dot, thinking you're being completely within the law, and then you and get you're fined because you're actually doing one seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> It has happened. Yeah. I believe it's also the highest minimum speed limit in the world. There is there are one or two other countries that have minimum speed limits, but they're fifty kilometers an hour, thirty kilometers an hour through through towns. The UK has a minimum speed yeah. limit on the motorway. I think it's sixty uh, fifty miles per hour, I think it is. Uh, something like that. It's uh, the blue sign that you see. That yeah. almost no one knows about. Yeah. yeah. What's the max speed limit in the UK? Uh one twelve um seventy. Seventy. So what's that so in one, t- one twenty mm. rough, rough roughly. roughly speaking, yeah. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, let's get on to things with uh, all things to Bizzle now. Um, as I said, Chris Milbourne, social media manager. Uh, we've been talking about imports. Um, anecdotally, they're very, very popular. We have listeners every single week asking about whether they should go for uh, a private import or a you know mainstream import. What, what how, how are things looking on the Debizzle world in, in that regard? I mean, imports have always been a very interesting topic. I've always had my eye on them uh, for as long as I can remember in the market here, and uh, it's it's strange to see year on year they actually there are more and more than enter the country. We had seventy almost seventy three thousand listed uh, in over the past twelve months mm. uh, for import cars, which is a staggering amount. Now, are these so? Uh, we're talking about privately imported cars that that come in not from the distributor. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So these will be listed as either American, Japanese, Korean, mm. European, or other specifications, um, which made up 44% of the total cars that were listed on the platform in 12 months. There's a huge wow. amount of imports that are coming to the country. And the thing with imports are, is they're listed usually cheaper than, say, a gold spec car is. They also have things at like higher options, yeah. but their history is what you know really tells the full story. Um, when are they buying an American car or any uh, imported vehicle, it's always good to do a background check outside of the United Arab Emirates because then you can get the car history of where it's actually originated from. So, yes, I mean, you can. a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, Dodge or Ford, these are American cars. That's not what we're talking about by imports. Hmm. We're talking cars that are not built for GCC. They're not regulated uh, and do they do not conform to the GCC regulations. They are allowed in the country, obviously, but they'll have different history outside. So that's why things get a second opinion, like a car inspection like we have at Dubizzle, is always a wise idea. You know, So you can know everything about the car, plus you can get these reports to make your, you know, your decision mm. a little bit easier when it comes to buying one. Mm. What, what about in regards to, um, you mentioned the, the, the US imports, there's a lot of those coming in, but also the Japanese imports, because you've, we've all seen those auctions where you've got to be... It's like whack-a-mole. You've got to be quick on the buzzer and, and you can snap up 10 cars in 10 minutes. They roll them through on the uh, and you see them on the internet and bang. And then, you know, six weeks later, they're here. 
Um, now, I remember going back some time ago, there was a, just a general consensus with Japanese import cars that they were, they were either flood damage from the tsunami or they were uh, radiation from uh, from Fukushima. Um, what's 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 your take now on on these privately imported Japanese? Because they're all almost unbelievably, and I say that in the true context, low kilometres. Yeah, so this is the thing that catches everybody out, right? And they also come in left-hand drive. But in Japan, yes. you drive on, yeah. I'm going to say, at the wrong side of the road. You drive on the, is it the right-hand side? Yeah, we have right-hand right hand yeah. drive like we do in the UK. The reason for the low kilometres is because you're legally allowed to drive a left-hand drive vehicle in Japan, but you can only do it for a certain amount of kilometres. So you've got cars that come in with that 2002, 2003, up to about 2010, and they're coming with 20, 30,000 yes, kilometres. Yeah. Essentially, they're garage queens, but they've actually been driven to the amount that they can be legally driven. Um, again, it's always down to the report that it comes with. You know, when you, like you said, these auctions, these auctions will always come with a report of the car. They will specify, you know, where the car has been, what's happened to the car, and the data is pretty transparent. And all of the cars that are imported will come with these reports. Mm. And, the, and the Japanese reports are really detailed. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been and looked at um, Mercedes and things like that up at the, um, you know, in the, uh, the Sukhoi by yeah. the, the imports. And, I mean, you can get a full, like, four or five-page report on these things, and it's got every last – it's had marks on it that I couldn't even find. And yeah. then the auction person's gone, no, there is a scratch. And you're like, oh, and that tiny nick is nothing, you know? But So, yeah, um, 100%. Got a text message here. Can you get finance on imports in the UAE from banks? Yes, you can. Uh, but it depends on the bank. There are certain banks that will do it. Then there are others that, obviously, they don't uh, cover import vehicles. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about things to... Uh, I guess there's a there's a huge thirst for new cars uh, of any description here. People are willing to pay hugely over the odds to to get it. Um, what about EVs? There's still a small part of the market. We, we had a few. We had a couple of callers in earlier on talking about you know should I buy a, a, a secondhand Tesla and what should I be paying for it? Um, we've had discussions about the Volkswagen ID series on the show several times before. Finally, that seems to be uh, sorted out between the importer and, and, and the government about grey markets. Um, could things be changing now in, in, the, in the whole grey market situation, using that as a case study? Because obviously you can't import privately VW IDs anymore. Is, is that, do you see that as being a potential knock-on effect? Yes. I, I would say probably now in the next coming months you'll probably see less of them listed. Um, however, things can change. There are always ways around doing it. Um, we haven't heard much about it, and obviously we obviously know what the, the government's mm. decree is, and we've heard Aldebuda say of it why they can't have the cars here, because they don't conform to GCC specifications. Yes, they're imported, um, and they are available at a lower price. And it's quite interesting that you mentioned the ID series. These are probably one of the most sought-after imports last year. Yes. They skyrocketed on our market report from being basically nowhere to the t one of the top three models of Volkswagen that people were looking for. You know, and it's just incredible I, I to think, think the ID badge was in the, was the top selling Volkswagen model here, which is crazy mm -hmm. because it wasn't sold through the through the importer. And it was the ID four and the ID six, and literally everywhere you go, you see one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the other day I was uh, I was driving on my way to work, and you usually see them in like white, grey, silver, blue. I saw a red one for the first time. Yeah, and then I called. Uh, uh, I've got I know a couple of dealers uh, around, and I called one in Abu Dhabi, and he said, "No, I've got I've got plenty if you want. I've got them in all different colours." I said, "Huh? They come in different colours besides the three? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. They're always those those three colours, aren't they? Everyone uses it. Yeah. How, how can someone, when someone goes on to Debizzle, how can they uh, <laughs> determine what is a car that's imported through the distributor and what's a car that's come through through the through the grey market? So this is we have obviously filters that you can go through, and one of the filter options that we has is to separate GCC to. Um, European and the other specifications, be it Japanese and American. So obviously you can filter that way through and then you'll find out which ones are uh, imported from overseas. Uh, when it comes to finding out if it's listed for, or if it's bought originally from, say, Alpha Tame, uh, Al Nabuda and these guys, uh, these this information needs to be inside the description and that's up to the user to decide if they want to put that information in or not. This obviously helps users make a quantified decision when it comes to buying said car, mm -hmm. so especially when they see things like, you know, service has been done at the dealership whether it be the one here in Dubai or it be in, in any of the seven Emir uh, six Emirates, excuse me, besides Dubai. Uh, that gives people reassurance that they know that the car is here, has been purchased here and it's from here and has been serviced by the dealer. Yeah, and, and that's the thing right in the channel is that this market, the UAE, has always been, whether it be cars or, or refrigerators or tyres, it's a re-export market. Cars come in, cars go out. So the, so the, 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 the grey market, to put it that way, 
is part and parcel of the industry. And it's it, not going anywhere, that's for sure. It's not going anywhere at all, is it? I mean, you look at Alloway, you look at, you know, we all go there and have a bit of a, bit of a wander around and see, what, see what's out there. Um, but what's your take on, on all of that? I mean, you've, you're born here, you've seen the industry flourish. I've seen a lot of things change. And I do, I'm kind of moving back towards GCC imported cars because there is a difference. As I just saw with the Type R, manufacturers are putting in the time and effort and there are small detail changes people don't necessarily appreciate because I was out the other day, well, that's the other day, yesterday, pushing the Type R as hard as it would go in a sensible, safe fashion. But you could feel that the car obviously was designed for our conditions. Now, a couple mm. of imported cars I've driven, I'm like, mm, not so sure about this one. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily buy an imported car anymore. Uh, but yeah, that's not to say that conditions can change. Uh, yeah. I think gray market cars like the ID series and so on are a very interesting question, which <laughs> I don't necessarily want to <laughs> approach from every possible <laughs> angle. Because this, all I can say is the people I know who've bought one of their imported IDs are doing fine. Uh, but it's early days. Yeah. It's very yeah. early days. And th- by the way, there is a very easy way to check. If you are looking to buy a car privately uh, or even at a dealer, uh, one of the used car dealers, just look at the uh, VIN plate. Because yeah. if the VIN plate is in Arabic, then it's a GCC spec car. Not always, but 90% of the time they're in uh, Arabic. Yeah. is also a Cruise, thing, right? Yeah. So, for example, if you're buying a non-GCC spec yeah. car, if you take it to dealership, and this happened to Tundra people a while ago because they brought in so many Tundras. This is 2008. I'm saying a while ago, not mm. that long ago. But the dealership obviously has not imported these cars, hasn't uh, obviously done the due diligence, so they will charge you to open a service file. Mm. And that is perfectly understandable because yeah. at the end of the day, you're taking the risk. And they pitch out a higher price because they have done their homework. Yeah, hmm. Chris would. Yeah, going back to checking if a vehicle is imported or it's from the GCC, the VIN plate is a good option. You've also got the wing mirrors on either side. Some some manufacturers will have one in Arabic and one in, one that has no lettering whatsoever. Uh, you can also check the radio. So yes, um, yeah. certain cars that come in, obviously around the world we have different frequencies. Um, here we run different frequencies, so you do in Japan and America, so you might not get all the radio stations. So if you're looking to tune into Dubai Eye and it doesn't work, you can tell that it's an import. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, those of you who are listening who are in the car, congratulations, you've bought an official car. Yeah, because yeah exactly. You, I, I, with, with, the Japanese, <laughs> with the Japanese imports, you can't it, doesn't, it doesn't go that far up the yeah. band, does it? <laughs> so uh, very quickly, I was in Zanzibar last week, and oh, every single car in Zanzibar <laughs> is a Japanese import car. And they all have the little Japanese lady's voice when you yes. first start the car. And it's something to do with their toll system, I believe. And uh, you get a little uh, voice comes out of the dashboard talking to you, yeah. which is a giveaway. And also the stereo doesn't work. But also Jap- with the Japanese imports, you've got the Japanese stamp, build plate stamp that's usually under the hood somewhere mm. on top of the uh, the manufacturer's plate as well. So uh, Plenty of ways, isn't there? Yeah. And of course, the, you know, the rise, Chris, I guess, too, with... with um, Online auctions, social media, Instagram sites popping up, people buying and selling cars on, on on Instagram. I mean, that's 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 had a knock-on effect with with what you're seeing at the Bizzle as well, I guess. Yeah, and as you said, a lot of social media accounts now have started to pop up with when it comes to buying and selling. Um, there are even ones that uh, were around for a very long time, but we didn't really have access to them. Now they started to come. I think you mentioned the one before as well. Um, but of course, it seems to be anywhere that people are looking at, you can try and sell a car. You know, we still use the traditional boards that are outside the uh, shopping centers that people just post a car for sale. But uh, obviously, putting it online is much easier because more people will see it. Putting it on a platform like Debizzle, many people will see it. You know, we've got uh, monthly active users that go towards the hundreds of thousands, if not more. So, and People like myself, I'm pretty sure all four of us can agree here. A lot of us tend to, uh, tend to sit in front of the computer and just see what's available on Divisal. Maybe, mm. maybe it's a great a pastime. Yeah, I hate to imagine how many hours I've spent doing that, but yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 we've all done the Divisal game, haven't we? You'd find out what's the most obscure car. What's the you know? <laughs> we should have a game of that. We should come in every week and, and, and state our most obscure car from Divisal that we found. But there's a different, interesting difference with cars that you buy on social media. Should I say Instagram? or what have you versus Debizzle, right? Debizzle is more of a corporate platform and there's mm. a place for that because you can search very quickly multiple brands, multiple specs, multiple options and look find what you're looking for if you know what you're looking for. On Instagram, if you find something, it usually happens, you happen upon it and because it's Instagram, you tend to trust it, which you shouldn't because you think, okay, I might know it's like buying from a person, but you're not yep. actually buying from a person. There's somebody selling a car. You'd put the same, uh, go back to the question we had at the very start of the show. You have to put the same safeguards and you automatically trust people, which you shouldn't. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8.
Yes, welcome back to Motor Mania with me, Damien Reed, and I'm still joined by Imp the Noel Ebden, and of course, Chris Milbourne, social media manager at The Bizzle. And uh, Chris, we're talking all things The Bizzle at the moment, uh, but let's let's get away from cars right now and let's talk about number plates. The obsession with special number plates here is absolutely out of this world, and you guys just must be looking at this going, how can it go anymore? I mean, they millions and millions of dirhams, dollars, however you want to put it, world record. Uh, Emirates Auction set the new Guinness World Record for selling the world's most expensive number plate uh, for, what was it, 55 million dirhams. Uh, crazy stuff. And that wasn't in for number one. <laughs> it's, it's insane how much money has been changed for uh, basic, essentially a piece of metal, isn't it? Yeah. For P7 was the number. Um, why? What? Where's, where's the fascination? It's... Uh, yeah, I see Noel shaking his head as well about this. It, it's a strange one. I know back in the UK we have things called vanity plates. In the US you have them as well. Yeah. Where they're either a combination of numbers and letters, or in, I know in the US you can have just letters. I guess it's just it's a symbol of wealth, power. You know, yeah. it's a symbol to show people who you are essentially. And it's funny you mentioned the fifty-five million dirham one just before the break. I was having a look at what we have here. We have one currently listed. It's an Abu Dhabi plate as well. Thirty-five million dirhams. It's a bargain, an uh, absolute bargain compared to your 55 million. Oh, true. Get it. Get true. As, I'm doing the maths in my head of how many cars I could buy for that number. But the person who buys that has a lot of cars. He's not yeah. like he's choosing between but that he Corolla could have and a Camry. Well, he could as, have even more. I don't as, think as he a, worries about it. I'm assuming it's a heat. But, but yeah. as an Emirati guy told me once years ago, and I saw that it was a, it was a two-digit number, number plate, and it was on a, uh, I think it was a Land Cruiser or something, Nothing, you know, and he said, look, he says, when I bought that that car, it was uh, let's say you know 150,000 dirhams. Now it's worth 35, 40. When I bought that number plate, it was worth you know four million. Now it's worth 20 million. It's not about sticking that on the car. It's just that that's uh, number plate is always an appreciating asset. But but it's an appreciating. But do they ever sell them? Do well, they sell them? Because they do, if but you've you got a low, find out how yeah, much they get sold for. Because if you've got a low number, there's that pride in having that low number so you yeah. just keep it so you know you an appreciating asset is is great but if you never sell it it's useless yeah but you don't need to sell it again it's about having that i think if you've lived here long enough this is something maybe people outsiders would struggle to understand it is a confluence of wealth power and influence right so having a low number plate basically means that everybody knows that you're somebody yeah. and, and for me it's a great shorthand because if i see somebody coming up behind me with a low number plate uh, they, they never flash you. They very, I very rarely see that <laughs> because they don't need to. I simply smoothly move out of the way and don't bother that person any further because that implies that you are somebody of importance. Yeah. And we obviously are the person with the most important number plate in the country. And that gives you a perfect example of this, right? Sheikh Mohammed drives around with number one and everybody is extremely warm and friendly to him, but everybody also understands that don't get in his way when he's going places. Mm. What What's the deal, Chris, With if you buy these number plates off the bizzle? Are they owned by the RTA, the government that you just lease it, or do you actually physically own it and that is you never give it back and you can take it home with you to your own country and do whatever you want with it? Because it, in my mind, a licence plate is kind of, in other countries, it's it's owned by the issuing authority and you just stick it on your car. What's Before we get into this, I just want to go back. I've got a story <laughs> that can beat the Land Cruiser, by the way. Go on. <laughs> there is, someone has spotted, and they, they shared this picture in a group as well, there's a Kia Picanto that was spotted in Satwa and it has C5. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want the math, I want the math oh, so between what thinking, that plate is and what, how much that car is. Straight away, I'm thinking it should be on a Citroën. But anyway. <laughs> that would be messed with it. That um, C5 is the most powerful Hyundai or Kia in the country. Because wherever that goes, people will leap out of its way. The, what is the story but, behind that? There's got to be a great story behind that. Somebody with yeah. a great sense of humour. But, yeah. but go on, Chris, very quickly. Yeah, so going to the plate thing. So I actually own two plates of my own. Um, okay. They're not super fancy. Um, one has a, rep, a repetition in it, and the other one is just it's an A plate. So, you know, as an A plate, if you have one, people know you've been here for a very long time and i own the plate yes okay okay so the rta obviously is the regulating authority but i have legal documents to say that i own these two plates mm -hmm. so any car that i want to register i can use one of those two plates i don't have to get the randomly generated one right okay does that include historic plates as well or i would assume so yes but mm. probably not the right person to ask about this okay mm. yeah classic plates for sure but it's all a bit of fun isn't it like at the yeah. end of the day i mean i'm not so bothered about low number plates but i know people are very interested in it but i've had the same plate in my car for the last 10 years it doesn't mean anything it's not a particularly interesting number but it just reminds me that i managed to keep that continuity for across seven or eight cars so for me it's, it's nice just, for your photo album when you look at all your, all your cars and exactly. you've had many 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 with yeah. the same plate exactly it's been going on since 2013 <laughs> or 2012 
Yeah. But honestly, would I pay a lot of money for it? No. But the people who do, it's a very serious business and I respect that. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. I want to talk about something that's just uh, that's been popping up during the week, and of course, it's always a uh, very popular conversation topic: electric vehicle charges, charging stations, charging solutions in the United Arab Emirates. Now, the conversation around electric vehicles has has evolved over the years on this uh, program. Um, from yeah, it's fair to say, there's been a lack of interest in electrification a few years ago. To uh, it seems to be it, people are getting onto the bandwagon now and wanting to get hold of EVs. Sales of, of electric vehicles in the UAE have actually gone up uh, substantially in the last quarter as well and uh, we'll wait and see the first quarter sales coming out um, in uh, probably the next four weeks and we'll probably say the same thing. So uh, also discussions about range anxiety as well and I think we've dispelled a lot of that uh, on previous shows as well. So I was chatting to uh, Arthi uh, Sirinavasan, Sir, Sir, I'll get that right, the Director of EV Charging Solutions at Powertech Mobility. Now, uh, she told me that demand for EVs was up 200% in the last year, and EV sales are expected to go up by another 30% year on year, and that's compounded annual growth rate from 2022 through to 2028. Now, one of the big factors that will make this happen is the influx of Chinese companies. Let's have a listen to uh, what Arthi had to say about this. Another significant factor contributing to the robust growth here in the UAE of EV sales is the recent agreement and entry of Geely and BYD. Geely through AGMC and BYD through Alphotem. We know that Chinese OEMs already contribute up to 4 to 5% of car sales as of 2022. We are also expecting 2024 to be a robust year on the whole for all electric car makers as consumer appetite truly increases with a greater presence of charging infrastructure across the country. Yeah, so an interesting uh, uh, point there that uh, that Arthur made about uh, yeah the Chinese manufacturers, uh, Geely making a big impact here, as is uh, BYD, who recently launched here through uh, Alpha Time, um, and that's a story in itself. They they're coming in with uh, with uh, their own charging network as well. So charging stations, AC versus DC, the difference. Well, the difference basically is. Put it very simply, without going all the technology and, and the technical side of things, fast and slow charges. So you can charge into the wall, uh, but if you've got the, uh, the the uh, the the full charger, that means you can uh, charge the car a whole lot faster uh, with the DC chargers. So uh, yeah, I mean these are charging stations. Um, when we rolled out electric vehicles initially, uh, the, the only charging stations were from uh, from Dewa. But now they're popping up everywhere. Free charging facilities in malls and other commercial buildings. Um, also some, some privately owned ones coming up, as you said before, by the likes of uh, Alpha Tame, bringing their own network in as well. So I asked Arthi about the ratio of EVs to chargers right here. An estimate would be around over 12,000 electric vehicles in the UAE. A closer number would range between 12 to 13,000 electric cars in the UAE. I think it would be fair to say that there are uh, close to 1,000 plus charging stations in the UAE. I would say that the ratio of AC to DC would be that uh, there would be a greater percentage, probably more than half of the charging infrastructure that is present at the moment would be AC and the rest would be DC. We definitely see in the coming years, DC charging infrastructure overtaking the AC chargers, especially for public installs. So we're expecting a much more reasonable ratio between chargers versus electric cars, probably comparable to the more, let's say, the mature markets in this segment globally. Yeah, some really interesting uh, uh, information coming out of there from from Arthur about the ratio of EVs to chargers in the region. That's going to increase massively too. As we said, we we saw the figures that are coming out, sales figures there. Also, there's talk about leasing as well. So if you don't want to commit to buying a car, uh, the whole leasing concept is is still something fairly new to this region as well. So um, 
a, mor- a, a majority of these uh, charging stations are in Dubai. By the end of uh, the year, the, by the end of last year, there were 620 charging points across the city. And uh, it looks like real estate developers, property management companies are keen to offer residents fast charging facilities. And uh, it, that, uh, that's a plus for uh, for any developer looking to attract home buyers. Now, if I remember correctly, there was actually. Um, one car company offering uh, uh, Ramadan deals where they will include a wall unit charger uh, with the with the sale of their EVs. So, you know, that, that's another option that comes through and there are questions coming through about, do I have wall units? Um, do I need a wall unit for my villa uh, or can I just charge at work or charge at home? Well, I mean, the fact is, if you have a, a, wall, a wall unit in, uh, in your villa, then it's not going to charge quickly, but the fact is that you keep the car overnight and uh, it will be charged before you get going in the morning. So the most popular 24 kilowatt DC chargers and 50 kilowatt DC charging stations from ABB, which is a supplier of uh, electric vehicle stars uh, chargers, fairly easy to install in any building. And now the, the issue with that comes building codes about uh, high-rise apartments. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm joined in the studio now by Indeshan Jado of Motoring Middle East. Uh, good morning, Indeshan. Good morning, Damien. Let's mix it up a bit. Let's have a bit of fun. Let's uh, break out of the norms with the way this show runs. And Let's remix this. <laughs> Let's do this. So you're now our, our expert um, on all things to do with people texting in. For, uh, for, for Hold on, people. <laughs> so what we're doing now is, um, yeah, we're tag teaming this one. We're going to answer all your questions. Uh, the first one is a very, very simple one. It's uh, from Jay. Thanks, Jay, for for, uh, for getting in touch with us. Um, and it's just the simplest question I think I've ever been asked although it's a, never had this question before. Ineos versus Defender for six dogs. That's a lot Where of dogs. Where do you go with that? That's a lot of dogs. It is a unique situation. Obviously, seven-seater. Um, do they each get a seat? I think they do, actually, uh, as not a dog person. Okay, as a non-dog person, let me try to give you some advice. Ineos, um, I think it has all the space for your dogs mm. and all of their stuff. And I think it's overall a more biggest, more, more capacious car to put mm. it mildly. However, it is untested in this market. It hasn't, it hasn't even come out yet, really. There's a few cars sort of trickling through, but it's not what I would describe as. Do you want to be the first person to take a punt on it? I think it looks great. It looks like a Defender, but it's not a Defender. It's a yeah. brand new product from a brand new company. Yeah. Defender is, however, quite well established here. And if you've got space for your six dogs and a Defender, I'd go for the Defender. Yeah. It's a tried and tested product. Yeah. Um, Interesting one because I, you, yeah, you, you've put it up an interesting one because I was half thinking of going the other way because the Ineos to me is more of a more of a hose out kind of interior compared to the to the uh, to the Defender. Don't go for but, the full HSE top spec Defender. Go but for you're right. Yeah, <laughs> go for the lower spec ones. Um, and, and having said that, I did have, I did have a Defender that had the full rubber floor mat treatment. Um, and that was fantastic. I loved it because I could go to the hardware. I could do. I could load up the back, and I didn't care if it had mud in the car. When because was the last was- time you went to the hardware store? Well, when I had a Defender. <laughs> <laughs> See, it inspires you. Look, there is one thing the Ineos has in its favor. I think it has more raw off-road ability. Yeah. So it's modifiable. It's certainly from the factory designed to be suited to your taste or uh, modified to your taste, whereas the Defender is kind of done. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't mess with the Defender. So if you want something that's less fuss, Take it to Al- from Altair and go straight to the desert. Defender. If you want to tinker, Ineos. Here's another option, and I'd like to get your opinion on this. Um, Wrangler. No, no, no. Six a, a dogs. Long, long wheelbase. Six dogs. No? Even Six with dogs. a long wheelbase? It's too small inside. Okay. Um, do you know what would be really good? If you have the money. Something like a Raptor. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to go with a tried and true classic uh, answer for this one. Land Cruiser. Okay. Land Cruiser. Is that was in the back of my mind as well. Land yeah. Cruiser has everything you need and, well, we all know what it is. I know a lot of people don't want to necessarily default to it, but gosh, you can't beat a Land Cruiser. And you can do both the things. That it's it's good out of the box and you can modify it if you want to. Mm. So, yeah, in terms of big SUVs, left field choices, mm. uh, the Suburban Tahoe 84s, the ones with the air suspension can do a lot of stuff and they're even bigger. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of choices, but I think I know when he says Ineos Defender, I know exactly what Jay is looking for, that kind of roughy tufty adventure vibe. Yeah, you can't go wrong with either of those. My vote is Defender. You're saying Ineos? No, actually, I'm changing. I'm going to go Defender. Can you do that? <laughs> of course I can. It's our show. Yeah. We, we can do whatever we like. Um, because I was just thinking back to the one that I had, the, the, the vehicle I had back in Australia with, that, with the rubber floor um, and just the, it was a hose-out model. 
yeah. version, and I loved it for because it was just so rare to see that on a. 2022 era of, of car. Yeah, Broncos are pretty good. Broncos are getting too yeah. small, but the Broncos, I love plastic interior floor cars because you can just get them dirty and dogs are going to, like kids, they're going to get them dirty. Yeah. You just got to live with it. There you go, Jay. There's 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 some options for you. Uh, now, an, an anonymous caller has uh, texted in and said, hmm, um, I'm about to meet up with a stranger that I met on Facebook. Uh, be careful! going all wrong. Yeah, be right careful, people, when you yeah. do that. Uh, we, we have no responsibility. Uh, <laughs> I'll be looking at his car. It's a Nissan Altima 2013. What questions should I be asking so I don't get scammed or shortchanged? Thank you. Um, all the standard ones, right? How long have you owned it? That's a good one. Uh, yeah, firstly, proof of ownership. Have yeah. a look at the the, the regi- registration owners? card, the insurance uh, paperwork. Does it have any full service history? Has it been any accidents? What have you done to the car? Has it required any extra maintenance? Uh, is it an imported car? Is it a local car? Make sure oh. the, f- the the finance has been cleared with the uh, with Absolutely. the bank, so you you don't end up paying off someone else's car. Mechanically, look, I think there are some things that you, garages can help with, and some things they do have to do the homework on your own. So, for example, if the so, uh, seller is evasive on things like paperwork, walk away. If the, mm. ser- if the seller cannot tell you how long they've owned it or cannot provide like at least the last few maintenance slips, walk away. If they won't let you take it to a garage, it's 2013. Like I used to think of myself as a good mechanic and then I bought a car that was in terrible condition. <laughs> so now I don't even trust myself and neither should you. I would go and say, I'll pay the 500 dirhams or whatever it is for an inspection because mm. that means that you have a third independent party who's yeah, certifying your car. Absolutely. It's and, money well spent. And if you are, and, and that's a great point for... For for this anonymous who was who was looking on on Facebook, but that's also, and we we might actually bring this up with uh, with Chris Milbourne later on from Debizzle um, about the the verified uh, looking at when you look at a car on Debizzle, always go with a verified pay pay for it if it's yeah. not if it's not there already. They've you, done the homework for you. You're going to be spending, you know, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. A couple of hundred is absolute peace of mind. And also one last point, but this is actually in some ways the most important that people don't talk about. It's always like, I'm looking at this car, I'm looking at the car, I'm like, yes, but do you like it? Get in the car, drive it, adjust to your favorite seating position, turn on a song, you know, turn on the AC, drive around for more than five minutes, see if you like it. Because you may not like the car. I mean, the Ultima is a perfectly fine car, I'm just using an example, but mm. you need to be sure that you actually will spend the next year at least and enjoy driving this car around. So yeah. think so, of that first before actually the mechanic right now is like, do I actually want to buy this car? Yes, there you go, Anonymous. Hope that helps. Um, but be very careful when you're looking to buy things off Facebook. It, Facebook, it is, um, how do I say this being feel. nicely? But it, 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 you've got to be on your guard in, in terms of scammers. And, and I'll be really honest with you, if you're looking at a Nissan Altima or thereabouts, go on to Bizzle and have yeah. a look there. Uh, there are loads of the, uh, there as well, and you get, as I said, the verified options as well. That takes away an awful lot of those headaches that you're uh, that you're just asking about. Um, Remember, you're basically buying the seller. You're actually not buying the car. You look yeah. at the person, he or she, what they're selling you, and if you don't trust them, don't buy the car from them, no matter how good it looks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely good, good advice. Uh, now, Phil, um, Phil has. Uh, Texted in and he said, my car started making a clicking noise even before the engine is switched on. What could it be? It's a Jeep Wrangler, 2017 model, 113,000 kilometres. And he's even given us a a quick demonstration on how it sounds like. That's a catchy beat. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Is it a blocked fuel pump? Could be, but then you'd hear like a whine. I think the tick, tick... So before the engine is switched on, normally I'd say that's like a tick from the top end. But if it's yeah. clicking, could be a relay. Could exactly, be like- exactly. I was just thinking that. Um, Phil, it does your uh, question I'd like to ask if he's if he's listening is, does the car start then normally, yeah. or does it or, or does it is it take a long time to say? If that's the case, then yeah, we're talking about an electrical issue with the battery and the relay, uh, because that's the kind of sound that you get with with a flat battery. Too, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, that relay is an electrical device that sends power where it should. And if it's clicking, means it's struggling to make that connection. So it's going trying to, but it's about to fail. So that's what it's trying to tell you. In the old days, before you had cars, they could actually tell you what's wrong with them. But relays are notoriously hard to sort out because even the car doesn't know that it's about to fail, right? Mm. So you need a good workshop, whether it's the dealership or a good trusted independent specialist to look at the car and tell you if that's the problem. Uh, but these are very annoying problems to sort out, so I sympathize with Phil. Yeah. Because it could be intermittent, and that's the Chasing. best kind, yeah. Yeah, it always, it always fails, and then you take it to the garage and it doesn't. 
Could it be anything else? Fuel or engine related? If it's engine, you'd hear it while the engine is running. So mm. clearly, it's something electrical, electrical system. That's where you start, I think. Okay, I hope that works for you, Phil. Uh, Sarah, very quick one from Sarah. Guys, where can I find the chassis number? Uh, on the windshield. On the so, windshield. Yep. The, uh, all, the vin- all the way back to the 80s, I think, all the cars had it on the windshield. You see a little window in the windshield at the bottom left driver's side? Underneath the wiper, yeah. uh, you'll find the VIN number, which is the chassis number. Um, also, too, I think with some of them, it's underneath the driver's or passenger seat, under the carpet. So yeah. you have to yeah. lift the carpet. I know with the... With the uh, with the Volks, with the the Volkswagen Group SUV, so we're talking Touareg, the Lamborghini Urus, the Audi Q7. Um, the chassis number for those is under the passenger seat. So you move the passenger seat forward, get underneath it, lift the carpet up, and you'll see it stamped there. That's quite clever. I mean, obviously, the first place you should look should be on your RTA uh, supplied registration card, which will actually have the chassis number and engine number on it if they exist. Yeah. Or if you are looking at a Japanese car, usually on the door sill. Yeah. Uh, actually towards the door lock you will see a plate and this used to be a common thing I'm not sure it's on every car today but the GCC cars have to have a plate with that information on where it's made and what its engine chassis numbers are This is Motormania on Dubai I 103.8 The UAE's number one talk radio station Yes, welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed, and I'm joined in the studio by Indichan Jado and uh, Noel Ebden's just joined us as well. Welcome to the party, Noel. Morning. <laughs> Morning. So we're going to continue this. We're getting some some text messages through on this one, and uh, straight up, uh, Indichan, you probably got you're probably all over this one. Very another one, a very quick uh, uh, text message. Don't have a name, so please give us your name. We'd love to uh, reference you by name. Uh, Nissan Patrol Safari versus Toyota Parado. Which one is better? Those are actually two different cars in some mm. ways. I know that they are two different, different mar- or slightly different markets. Yeah. yeah, because the Safari is a little bit bigger. It's actually designed to go up against the Land Cruiser. Mm. So that is a bigger class of car, but they are roughly in the same price budget because the Safari is an older car. So I think the Prado is a bit more modern. It's got a few more gadgets and gizmos. Uh, it's a little smaller, but you know, it's a more modern engine. The four liter V six, I think, is a better engine than the Nissan four point eight, which which might rankle a few people or ruffle a few feathers. Uh, and of course, has the legendary Toyota reliability. It is, however, a little bit smaller. But in terms of out of the box capability, it's very hard to beat a Prado. It's got everything that you could possibly want, and you don't really need to improve it except visually, if you want to put some tires and wheels or if that's your thing. But out of the box, great family car. But a little longer in the tooth. Patrol, what can you say about the Patrol? You've seen it coming up behind you on the highway in the fast lane. Um, I've got is, one right now. Yeah? Yes. Uh, the, the the king of the desert. One of the two kings of the desert, I thought. There's more but, than one king of the desert? Well, there's the Land Cruiser, isn't there? Oh, that's a and, different king. That's a king of all. No. <laughs> but I am in, in the Patrol and we're going to talk about that on another show. Let's not get controversial this early in the morning. I think the Patrol's great. It's got a slightly older feel to it. It's very thirsty. Mm. It is a bigger car. It could carry more. It's incredibly strong. So the Patrol is sort of more of a vintage car that you can buy new, if the best way I put yeah. it. Um, a vintage car you can buy new. It also has a lot Excellent. less gadgets and a lot less safety <laughs> equipment standard. And the thing so. with the Prado, you'll always get your money back, if not a bit more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Which exactly. is the same. If you want to go down the safe path, it's like the, the old saying, if you want to win a race in, with, in touring cars, buy a white Porsche. If you want to get your money back with a car, buy a white Prado. It's like free, you do it. it's free motoring, isn't but it? But if you want yeah. to go to the desert, you get a Patrol. Because that, as as many people who've been out here a long time will say, if you want to go to the desert, make sure you come back. It is a patrol. I don't yeah. The Prado is excellent, but the patrol is proven over 30 plus years in this region. Yeah. Okay. So I hope that one helps. Um, another very quick one here. What do you guys think of the new Ford Taurus? I haven't driven it yet, so I can't mm-hmm. really get yeah. in there. Is it one of Ford's new lineup of Chinese built cars with Ford badges on them? I believe so. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I mean, it's a bit of sneak preview. I drove the Ford Territory. Uh, to come oh, up yes, in a yes. future show. So not the same car, but I just want to mm. give an idea of my sort of reservations because the moment I said Ford Territory, I'm used to the Australian Territory, which actually was based on the Ford Falcon. Which is a car. ripper of a car. Exactly. <laughs> this is not that car. Could that be any more Australian? <laughs> However, this is the um, actually a rebadged version of the Ford Equator Sport. And I'll tell you what, I was all prepared to hate this car, and I'll save this for the full impression, but I really liked it. I thought it yeah. actually, I was writing my negatives column as I usually do, I couldn't find much. It was just really good. I haven't driven the Taurus. They've been asking me to drive it. I think you've just convinced me to take it. Yes. So, well, 
Yes. We, um, in fact, there's a couple of Fords out there on the press fleet that we need to get our uh, exactly. mm. get but behind the, the wheel of soon. Territory, excellent car. Uh, really excellent and very few things to complain about. And I think the Taurus will be more of the same. These Chinese cars have come such a long way. And under the umbrella of a Ford badge, they have a quality level that was not seen before in these cars. So I would have no reservations mm. about buying a Taurus, even but without driving it. It's quite a yeah. few of those territories on the road. I've seen yeah. lots Price All well. of a sudden, that must be Priceworld. Wow. 111, yeah, 111 and one option. That's a good No price. trim level apart from everything. So if you're looking for a family-sized car, yep. that's a really good value car. As a family car. Mm. I'm, we're going we're to spoilering my own Toyota <laughs> review, but I struggle to see what the Japanese competition is doing significantly better apart from being Japan-built cars, or which yeah. is often not the case these days. Like the old CRVs made in America. Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. Uh, another question here. This is an inter- interesting one, um, and it goes off a little bit off the chat we are having with Georgia Tully just a few moments ago on air. Um, I currently own a Porsche Cayenne S 2019. I want to consider going in for an EV, probably a Tesla. Any recommendations and how much can I expect to sell my Porsche for? Thank you. Um, Noel, I'm going to go straight to you with the uh, with the Cayenne que- question. What, yeah. what do you think a 2019 Cayenne would... Uh, Three twenty, somewhere mm. around there. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not the price guru, but uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Um, and yeah, go for an EV. Um, I wouldn't buy a Tesla, to be honest. Um, I Ooh, would. Ooh, controversial early in the morning. Yeah, I would. Uh, <laughs> I would look at. There's a lot of other stuff in the market now. Market's um, opened up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we were just saying that before. There, there are other options out there, but uh, some people like Teslas for for Tesla's sake, and 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 that is closer to the money at that end. I mean, you can get. Because the the prices, you know, the, mm. well, in fact, the prices just came down on Tesla because Tesla is one of the very few. Com- in fact, I think it's the only automotive car company that changes its price based on very short term values. So the, the price will come down for two months. It'll go up for a month. It'll come down, and it's right like now it's almost, on a bit of, exactly. It? Yeah. And yeah. right now it's on a bit of a downward trend. So mm. um, which uh, which also means that you could put yourself in a position where you buy high. And then want to sell, but the car's gone low, so you're even lower. So you're actually subjecting yourself to kind of market forces, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, in yeah. all fairness, I think the Tesla does a lot of things really well. It steers, steers brakes, and you know everything really well. It rides excellent as well. Yeah. And if you've never been in an EV before, it feels like the future. Mm. You're yeah. in there, everything digital screen. So if you're coming out of a Porsche car, which is an extremely good internal combustion car, you get in Tesla, you're like, wow. But the thing is, everybody else is also doing wow and in a slightly more normalized way. So it all depends what you want. Do you mm. want to be a Tesla yeah. person? You're buying into more than just a car. It's a brand. Yeah. Mm. This is Motor Mania with Damien Reed On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Yes, Motor Mania with you through until midday, and I'm joined by Ian Tangiato and Noel Ebden once again. So let's kick it off, guys. It's been the week absolutely for Iftars and Sahurs with the car industry. It's... Um Oh no! You have no, no, no. Really, no love from the industry. No, no, oh, okay. not one, not one invite. <laughs> oh, look at Billy Normate's oh, here. Yeah, shall I just go home now? I could have given you one of my plates. It's all right. Uh, um, we did get a couple of extra plates, didn't we, Dylan? I saw you know uh, in the chat at the Chevrolet one at Cars Cafe. They had a little preview for us of the Chevrolet Z06. Yes, which um, is their new supercar. Basically, the top end of the Corvette. Uh, all naturally aspirated engine, dual clutch gearbox, absolute monster. I've heard colleagues from other markets say it's one of the best cars they've ever I'll driven. tell you what, it sounds good because it's got that flat plane crank. So it's just this, it, it, it spins and it buzzes like rather else. than has the big V8 bump burble. It's very exotic and European. It doesn't sound very, it sounds more Ferrari, dare I say it, than mm. Chevrolet. It's not going to be that expensive I think it's under 600,000 dirhams when it comes in if you can get one but if you want one better get down to the dealership right now because they're all going to be allocated and sold yeah there's not it, many coming in interesting to, uh, to see what various uh, companies did some decided to use it as a bit of a product placement thing others decided just to hang out like Volkswagen we're down at the Matcha Club at Maidan new place down there really good just to catch up with the guys and have a chat same with the guys from Audi we're at the Park Height at Dubai Creek in the Palm Gardens just to say hi uh, but as I say, Chevrolet used it to, 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 to preview the exciting new uh, Z06 Corvette. Um, and Alpha Tain, likewise, they opened a, a new place at CityWalk called The Zone, which is a little boutique single or maybe two-car maximum showroom that's down there on the on the CityWalk area. But it's not branded for a specific – it's not like a Honda oh, so or a Toyota. It's thing. just a generic – Alpha Tame brand. So obviously Toyota, Honda, BYD, Volvo, Chrysler, Jeep, the whole lot. Um, 
and it's it's there for art shows, it's there for small events, that sort of thing. Uh, so we went down there the other night for for Sahur, and it was there to sh- again to reveal the new Grand Wagoneer that that's going to come out in time. Um, and to have a look at that and, and have a look at this new space down there. So it's not the hard sell. It's not like walking to a dealership. You just go and experience the car. Well, and, and other things, whether it be artwork or photography or what they've got going on. Because I think that we've moved on from the kind of classical car showroom, haven't we? Nobody mm. wants to sit and be bugged by a salesperson anymore. Salesperson now know exactly how to melt into the background and appear when you need help. But most of the time, just let you get on with it because people want to sit in there. You know what the most common thing people want to do when mm. they get a new car? Plug their phone in. They yep. want to see how difficult it is to plug their phone in and see First thing you do before you leave because you don't want to do it while you're driving, right? Mm. You, you shouldn't do it while you're driving. You, you just get straight really. into it. Yeah. Uh, so I think the zone's pretty good. We also had a couple of other events, didn't we? We had uh, Stellantis, did the uh, Iftar. No, I didn't City do that. Oh, well, you were not there. I was there. <laughs> you did, yes. Yeah. And of course, last night was the Ferrari Suhoor. Anyway, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Fun. Um, talk about cars we were driving. Uh, I drove the, uh, the Audi e-tron GT, which was, um, uh, we, last time we were on, we were on Motomania, I had the the Etron uh, Q8, and I'm just going through the the reacquaintance with Audi now. So this time I drove the RS um, uh, Audi RS GT, and I tell you what, is that a good looking car? Mm, looks Absol- stunning. It, it? To me, straight away, it's like you don't have to have big boxy cars with massive grills and illuminated back grills and all that kind of thing to make a car look good. This is an amazing looking car. It sits low. It's based on the the same platform as the Porsche Taycan, so the batteries are, are actually moving around there, there are lots of little batteries moving around so you're, you're not sitting on top of this platform so you, you've got footwells which means a car can sit a lot lower um and so uh you, as a result the car is, is is very low to the ground you, it's it's like a supercar you have to raise the suspension to get over speed humps and and that sort of thing uh if you remember my chat about the q8 e-tron and the side cameras, yay! This one had real mirrors. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> so that's Thank nice. Small mercy. But yeah. uh, six hundred and sixty thousand four hundred eight dirhams with all the options on the car that we had as a test car, and um, you know it's is it's based on the on the Taycan four hundred forty kilowatts, which is about six forty six brake horsepower, eight hundred thirty newton meters, naught to one hundred in three point three seconds. Like Why we'll buy say, a Z06? You've got a faster well, car. Well, like we're saying on off-air, off air, name an electric vehicle that's not quick anymore. Um, and it has the brilliant two-speed transmission that the Taycan has, uh, a range of 472 kilometres, alleged. Now, one of the things I just picked up, too, but just going through the, 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 the stat sheet before I came into the studio, the warranty on this car. Interesting. It's a five-year warranty, which is great, but it's 75,000 kilometres. Oh. Which makes me think... I'm going to have to look at the warranties of other electric vehicles because I haven't really looked closely enough. Does that then, is there an assumption that we're not going to drive the cars as often as we drive ICE vehicles? That's because really 75 question. is a low kilometres, but it's five years is a long time. I think things have changed mm. because at one point, uh, particularly around 2010, five years, 100 became like the norm. Mm. And then sort of as things changed around the market, it dropped down to three years, 60, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's gone back up again to 500, but I would expect 500. Yeah. And I think 575, like you say, I, if I drive to Abu Dhabi every day, which is a very possible scenario in the UAE, right? Then why wouldn't you run through 75,000 kilometers in three years? Mm. Easy, or mm. five? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the, the Abu Dhabi run stacks it up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. But in general, I do about 30,000 kilometers a year. So I'm an unusual person, but most people, on the other hand, yeah. would drive a lot. Mm. Is 75 enough? Yeah. So that's what I was driving. Um, no, I, I know I just cut. I know I cut Shan off about <laughs> about this. <laughs> Not the first time. But you have been driving a Ferrari. You're the lucky guy who does get to drive it because they won't talk to me. So you just drove the 296 GTB. Yes, uh, I still have it. You still have it. Yes. Uh, Tell me about it. I'm, okay. I, I'm curious. So this is the replacement. Well, this is not the replacement because it hasn't been around for years, but this is basically the Dino revisited. Mm. So this is a V6 twin turbo Ferrari. Okay. 296 is 2.9, six cylinder. Uh, and it's it's basically, they call it the entry level Ferrari, which is a kind of misnomer in itself. So uh, looking at about 1.2 mil to get into one. Wow. Uh, great looking car. Absolutely lovely. Mm. Um the seats are, I think this one has the carbon fibre seats in it, which are extremely uncomfortable. 
Um, so I, I believe there was probably an option for a nicer seat in it, which I would 100% go for, which makes me sound really old. I'm sure <laughs> anyone in their 20s would be going, no, get the carbon fibre seats. Um, I don't like the controls of the car. Um, mm. It's all kind of touchy, slidey stuff that everyone seems to be going towards, which oh. I just find impossible to control anything or find anything. Um, Are you officially an old man? Yeah, I think I'm getting old. So, yeah, haptic, it, right? so even the start button now is haptic, yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And, you, and you have to press it twice. I don't know, but um, it goes like, obviously, like you would expect, uh, 2.9 uh, to 100, which is mm. uh, very quick. Um, and it's also part hybrid as well. So yeah. you can run it for about 20 kilometers on pure electric power, which is really strange because one of the big things about Ferraris and all of the big supercar brands is the startup. You press the button and you get that. Yeah. moment that you know and it starts up and everyone around goes ooh, and you know you think well what a, yeah this is great it doesn't do that i actually was like is it on <laughs> uh, it, it was exactly like starting an electric car and it was only when i pulled off my driveway it was halfway down the street that the engine came on did it go woo That's, and, it, ca- and it, yeah. it, it made me jump and i was like whoa uh, hang on a minute now you can put it into performance mode where it won't go into hybrid Mm. Uh, which then the engine's on all the time and it's a lot more like a tra- uh, traditional Ferrari. So you kind of got the best of both worlds, which is great. But it kind of takes away the the impulse of having a... Because you, you want to get that emotion, right? Yeah, the- yeah. I think it's definitely lost some emotion. I think looks-wise, as I said, the looks of it are stunning. If mm. it, 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 it's good from every angle. And if you look, uh, next time you see one on the roads, look at the rear haunches. It smacks of the 250LM. There is a, there is definitely yeah. 250 LM in that. Yeah, There's yeah, a little yeah. bit of Dino in it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I like all of that. So yeah, it looks fantastic. Um, not keen on the interior, but the um, but it goes. I mean, it goes really well, and it handles. Uh, the, the suspension is spot on. This is Motor Mania on Dubai I 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. And let's continue our chat about our cars that we're driving because I'm really keen to hear this one in the shan. The Honda Civic Type R. You know, sell I'm- it to me. I've been doing a lot of family vehicles and I think I've paid my penance and I'm going into the actually probably one of the most anticipated cars of the year I think anybody would not disagree with that Honda Civic Type R it's the fastest Civic ever made um, it's also the return of the Type R badge which we used to get we got the Type R in the 2010s but we've skipped a couple of generations they were made in the UK they're now made in Japan uh, this is an extremely limited car don't expect to see many of them on the roads I would say less than 100 I can't exactly say how much mm. I'm told not to but it's less than 100 cars coming to the region so if you want a Civic go and get it it's not cheap it's all. It's over 200,000 dirhams I think it's 215 I need to double check the price with a special carbon pack at the local dealership so why do people want to drive a Civic for 200,000 dirhams very easy it's got a 300 horsepower turbocharged engine and a 6 speed manual that's only way it comes by the way there's no automatics there's no dual clutch nothing it's as pure as car cars get and I could only describe it as such it is the 911 of hot hatches there is nothing faster for the money and to be honest it would give a 911 a hard time on a twisty road um, some notes about this specific market car the Civic that we're getting here is actually slightly detuned because of the heat so it's not making the full 350 horsepower, it's making a little bit less. I need to find out exactly how much, but it's not a huge drop. Don't worry, you're not losing 100 horsepower or anything, maybe 5 horsepower. So you won't notice it, but mainly it's for reliability in the heat because it is a turbocharged engine. And Honda is an engineering company that does things properly. So let's get into the positives. Um, there's so many positives. It's incredibly comfortable. The seats are amazing. The drive position, absolutely spot on. I would say it has the best manual gearbox in the world oily, precise, just clicks into gear. There is not a better gearbox ever made. Okay, so as an experience, second to none. It is unbelievably fast. Okay, in a straight line, you might be going, okay, it's pretty quick. But in the corners, it has all sorts of electronic trickery. It's actually a bit wider than than lower Mm. than the previous model, which they actually have as well to show. I have driven that one as well. It's very good, the previous turbocharged type R. But in the corners, I can't say how fast I went, but I would say I would give Noel's Ferrari a good run in that car. I would be definitely not out of your beers. It's mm. that good and it's that fast. It's so fast that it makes me wonder why you need anything faster or more expensive unless you just want a nice badge on your car. See, I'm a fan of, of, of uh, fast little cars because you, you, you get your jollies at a lower speed. Oh, the turbocharged push is incredible. Once you hit second mm. gear and it gets up to 3,000 RPM, it pulls like a steam train. So that's mm. what I think. Anybody again who complains about driving a manual, I'm sorry, automatic people. If you drive this car in traffic, it's so easy. It's got so yeah. much torque. You just loaf along in second or third gear. It'll just effortless. It's, it's not a struggle at all to drive this in traffic. So, yeah. But mm. it's a fun car. You should enjoy it. Uh, negatives, very quickly, not too many. It's a little bit bouncy. 
mm-hmm. on the highway at, at high speed is a bit bouncy. It's got a few drive modes and they work, but the standard suspension settings are so good I wouldn't mess with it. And the third point, and this is a bit of a subtle point, it's a little bit more serious than Honda's of old. It's a very yeah. serious performance car, so it's not fun fun, but it's really good to drive. <laughs> there you go. No, your thoughts? Yeah, I've kind of come back into this whole hot hatch thing yeah. from from my teens, basically <laughs> from the days of the XL2 yeah. and the XL3. I, um, horsepower. I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, barely, I think, if you were lucky. Uh, because when I drove the Golfs recently, the GTI and the R, that's kind of reawakened my yeah. kind of interest yeah, in yeah. hot hatches. But 300 horsepower. 315. And you that's know what? Crazy. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. I've driven i 11 We've all driven the same fast stuff. Mm. This Civic will have the amount of surprise you see when mm. people, you pass them, they're like, what just mm. happened? And when I say past, I mean like rocket past them. Mm. If you buy this car, I'm extremely envious. That's all I can say. And yeah, not, yeah, yeah, not many people are going to get one by the sounds of no, it. No, but 300 horsepower, that, that's that's what race cars had, touring cars had only 10 years ago. Well, exactly. Oh, and by the way, um, for people mm. who say front wheel drives, I'm a, there's a very rave review, but it, it deserves it. It will slide this car it may be front wheel drive but it's so tail happy as well yeah so you can have a good time no matter what you enjoy mm. yeah well there you go um that's the honda civic type r uh i think you might have sold me on that one so i am looking forward to getting into it <laughs> and, t- and taking it for <laughs> I think a we'll be fighting over it. <laughs> i think we might be because as you say there's there's not many of them around um uh not many coming into the country so uh that yeah very 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 uh honda's got car, me intrigued. By the way, yeah is a, uh, will not be around forever it's a pre-production yeah. car so Ooh. well there you go 